Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. Listen, find your sermon outline in your bulletin there, and let's open our Bibles to the book of Mark, please. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. You'll find that on page 1570 in that book rack Bible, if that's the Bible you're using. Everybody's Bible open, please. It's amazing what people leave behind accidentally. I was reading an article recently where Southwest Airlines says that every month 10,000 items are left behind in airplanes. Things like books, cell phones, electronic devices, clothing items, glasses, they're the most common, but sometimes expensive things, rings, jewelry, people leave behind accidentally. Maybe you've left some things behind accidentally. Uh, Up in our Uh, office, we have this giant box of Bibles. Some of us come to church and we leave behind accidentally our Bibles. Sometimes I go and I look through those Bibles and I go, how are these people growing in their faith? They don't have their Bible. Well, they probably have 25 others at home or something, but sometimes we leave Bibles behind. Sometimes we leave things behind. And sometimes it's really not a choice. It just accidentally happens. I was on the beach years and years ago with a youth group and came up, uh, there was a vacant beach, but there was a blanket sitting there, and on top of the blanket was a, a Nikon camera, back then big, you know, single lens, all that, just fantastic, and I thought, well, it's got to belong to somebody, and walked up and down the beach, and nobody showed up, and we, we were there all day, and, and, you know, took the, put it in the paper, you know, found this camera. People leave stuff behind accidentally. And I was actually benefited by that left behind. That was a... (laughs) Sometimes we choose to leave things behind. Um, If you've ever moved and you go into your garage and you see all the stuff that you're going to have to take from this place to the next place. Have you ever had that experience? You decide what you want to leave behind. Garage sales, yard sales, those are all the the elements of people deciding to leave some things behind. Sometimes we choose to leave some things behind. Sometimes we're asked to leave some things behind. And we're, I'm not so sure we're happy about those kinds of things. When someone asks us to leave something behind, you know, going back to the airlines thing, when you go through the TSA checkpoints, you know, the things they ask you to leave behind, weapons and those kinds of things. I saw another article that said in Newark, New Jersey, just this last year, a spear gun was tried to get through security. Hatchets, chains, inert grenades, metal throwing spears. I mean, I don't know what people are thinking, but they're asked to leave those things behind. Did you know that when people go through those checkpoints, they take the loose change out of their pocket so they can go through that medical metal detector and, and they get on the other side of that? And a lot of times people just keep right on going. And do you know that in every year, the last statistic, 2010, $400,000 in change was left behind at airport security. I got a new idea for a youth fundraiser. <laughs> Maybe we should go through these chairs on Sunday mornings afterwards. <laughs> well, we, we, we're asked sometimes to leave things behind. If you go down to Cafe 4 and you buy a coffee and then you try to get up into the auditorium... You're asked to leave that behind. And some of us don't get that. We say, oh, you know, whatever. So sometimes we are asked to leave some things behind. And today we're going to look at a section of Scripture. We've been in this series on follow Jesus. And we're going to learn today that following Jesus will require that we leave 
some things behind. And all this comes to us in Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 17. Follow along as I read the text. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and f- to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Do not defraud, your, uh, do not defraud honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. All right, we'll stop right there. Today what I'd like to show you in this text, and we'll just, this is a very simple teaching this morning, but we're going to look at, we're going to look at a man, we're going we're gonna to meet a man, we're going to sit in a meeting, we're going to hear a message, and we're, we're going to rejoice in a mystery. Four little movements of this text, we're going to meet a man, we're going to sit in a meeting, we're going to hear a message, and we are going to rejoice in a mystery. Let's meet the man. A man whose intention was to follow Jesus. Right there in verse 17, it says that this man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, and said, Teacher, what, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, I like this guy from the start in the sense that here's a guy that is actually asking a very important question. Sooner or later, everyone on the planet asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And at least what this guy's got going for him is he's going to Jesus for the answer. Because I've met a lot of people who refuse to go to Jesus for the answer to that question. They'll go to organizations and books and Eastern mysticism and all kinds of things to find the answer to eternal life. But at least if you go to Jesus, you'll get the straight answer. Jesus will set you straight on that every time. But before we get into much more about uh, what happens in this text, let's think about who this man really is for a minute. And I don't know, any time I read scripture and I read about these guys, there's no name given to these guys. So I'm going to put a name on this guy this morning. Just make it a little personal. I'm just going to call him Ed. Is that okay? All right. His, and it doesn't have a real Jewish name, but let's just call him Ed. All right. So first, if you're taking notes, just note a few things down about Ed. First of all, he's a leader. In fact, Luke's gospel, Luke 18, tells us that he was a ruler. That means he's a person of influence. He's a person of position. He's also, according to Matthew's account, Matthew 19 tells us that he's a young man. 
tells us that he's young. And of course, if he's a ruler and he's young, boy, he's probably ambitious, driven, energetic, enthusiastic, strong, a visionary. He's also, according to all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that he's wealthy. Ed was a wealthy guy. All the synoptic gospels say this about him. He was a man of means. Number four, he's also what we in modern evangelical call a spiritual seeker. He's interested in eternal matters. He wants to know some things about truth and about God and about eternal life. And number five, he's respectful. In fact, most commentaries point out that he's really over the top in his respect for Jesus. He says, good teacher. It was not customary to call anyone good in these days because only God was perceived as good. You remember the TV show, Leave it to Beaver? Remember that? Anybody? You remember Eddie Haskell in that show? Okay, now you know why I'm calling this guy Ed. Always respectful of, you know, Ward and June Cleaver. But behind the scenes, there was something else going on. There was a, a little bit of an agenda going on. But anytime he was around the, the you know, the Cleavers, boy, was he, he was so respectful. And, and here, this young man, this young rich ruler, this man of influence, this, this man of means, this spiritual seeker, this way over the top respectful young man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do? Next movement in the text, verses 18 through 21. Let's sit in a meeting where it's determined what has to be left behind. Jesus is going to tell this young man something profound about what needs to be left behind. And by the way, here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He knows how to turn our questions into opportunities for sober reflection. I mean, with Ed, he does it by answering his question with a question. Very Jewish. Answer the question with a question. And here Jesus asks him, why do you call me good? In fact, Jesus tells Ed that calling him good was really like calling him God. So if he was calling him God, what was he doing running after all this other stuff that he really wasn't willing to talk about in that moment? I mean, maybe Ed did have some personal recognition of who Jesus was, but somehow Jesus is pointing out from the get-go of this conversation that what he believed about Jesus, as fundamentally uh, clear as it may have been that Jesus was in fact God, somehow that had not seeped down into the corridors of, of Ed's life. He was too busy living large to be aligned with the Lordship of Jesus Christ in his life. Isn't that a little bit like some of us today? And I don't know how many times I've met people who show incredible respect for Jesus and the church and even the role of the pastorate. I meet people all the time in the community that show great reverence and great respect for whatever it is that we're doing up here will never necessarily darken the door of this church. I, I met a guy not too long ago and he's a he's a, a, a strong religious guy and every year around Easter time he enters into a thing called Lent and some of us practice Lenten practices and that's great where you you know hold back on certain pleasures or whatever and one time a couple years ago he sort of boasted about the fact that he was leaving behind for Lent all the swear words that he uses in a conversation that was his Lenten discipline and when Lent was over boy he was back swearing like a sailor and sort of relieved 
I thought how interesting that people could sort of categorize a respect for God, a respect for the things of God, and sort of look at it like little compartments that you can just sort of pick and choose things as if that makes God so happy. If I don't use this word or that word in my life. Today, some of us might be in a place sort of like Ed where where we show respect for Jesus, we show respect for his church, we recognize that Jesus is God, we recognize that there is a God, and yet somehow, some way, we've not really allowed that truth to penetrate our soul, to really live our lives in a way that does honor the Lord, to give him everything. And, and so Jesus right here, sort of in this sobering reflection, says, here, you, know, you know the deal, Ed, You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, and don't forget Father and Mother's Day. I mean, Jesus says, don't forget your parents. It's interesting. I I found it kind of interesting that if you go back to the book of Exodus where the law comes from, Jesus takes those all out of turn and he ends with the one on, on honoring your father and mother. And the fact that Ed was rich might have been that Ed was sort of hoarding his money, not taking care of his parents, not doing what, what every good Jewish boy should be doing as, as far as if he was a person of means to, to supply and help out around the home. But he wasn't doing that. But Ed was quick to say to Jesus, all these things I have kept from, from my boyhood, everything that you've said here, everything that I know in the law, I have kept. But here's the interesting part. Ed forgets that Jesus sees what Ed has done and not done. He's seen, more importantly, what Ed is not really willing to talk about in the presence of Jesus. Jesus sees the inside of Ed's heart. Uh-oh. Jesus sees into our hearts today. I mean, we can parade around like we're religious people that we care about the things of God but he sees what's deep down inside of our hearts and for Ed there was an ugliness that that most people couldn't see and it was an ugliness that that had crept into his life that Jesus saw all over his life it was the ugliness of greed it was a more for me attitude the more he grew and lived in his life, it, it, beca- it became consuming to him. He was the kind of guy that could walk by the little Girl Scouts selling cookies. And even though he had a wad of cash in his hand, he wouldn't even give them the time of day. He was the guy that could walk by a, a homeless person on the street and, and he would mutter something like this to himself. Uh, he, that guy made his bed, let him lay in it. Doesn't work, doesn't deserve to have anything. Ed one day walked by a guy that was without socks and, and without shoes, and, and he just sort of sniffed at the fact that, that here at his house, he had dozens of pairs of shoes and, and, and European suits all from all over the Mediterranean. And yet he wasn't even willing to stop and help the man out. Ed was successful. He'd made it his career to be successful. Everything was about personal connections. For Ed, he knew how to work the crowd, like some of us. Conversations were like code for transactions for what he wanted to experience. Another connection he needed. Anyone that wasn't in Ed's direct circle knew that Ed was just a schmoozer. He loved to just manipulate the way. So Jesus says, he comes right out with it. He says, one thing you lack. And boy, this must have gotten Ed's attention. Verse 21. What? I'm missing something? What have I not done? Jesus. 
He's picking himself off the ground when Jesus says, here's what it is. He looked at him, and I, look, at, look at verse 21. This is amazing to me. Verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and what? And loved him. Some commentators, it's kind of a mysterious phrase, and only Mark brings this out. Did Jesus sort of move in close? Did he put his hand on Ed's shoulder? Did he, did he somehow convey to Ed that life didn't have to be this way? He didn't have to sort of live this, I'm great on the outside, but inside my world has fallen apart. Inside I am so empty that I have to keep consuming myself with more and more and more and more to be happy with my life. And so Jesus somehow conveys love to this young man when he says the hardest thing this man has ever heard in his life. He says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now that's, for a guy like Ed, that is just a shattering statement. And the text tells us that he went away sad. His face fell. He went away sad. He, he couldn't handle this amazing truth that Jesus was telling him. What Jesus is pointing out to Ed, and maybe what he's pointing out to some of us today, is that We've got stuff in our lives that need to be left behind if we're going to follow Jesus. I mean, materialism right off the bat is something that easily needs to be left behind. And there's some troubling things in this passage to all of us, and I'll get to that in a minute. But before I do that, let me clear up a little thing that some of us have wrongfully understood about this passage Some people actually believe that what Jesus is teaching here is that for anybody to follow Jesus, they must take a vow of poverty, sell everything they have, and live, you know, a life of poverty. Some of the monastics viewed this text this way. And the only way to be truly spiritual would be to empty yourself of everything that you have. Now, the curious misapplication of that is that there's no other places in the gospel where Jesus brings this truth. Jesus never says to anyone else but this young man to sell everything, give to the poor, and come and follow me. So what we understand from that truth is that Jesus saw into the heart of this man of what was standing in the way between this man and his commitment to Christ. And just like for all of us, there's stuff in our lives that need to be left behind if we're going to follow Jesus. And it may not be materialism for some of us. It may be other things. Maybe a lack of forgiveness for somebody. It might be pride might be a sense of self that is just overwhelming. It always comes back to self. Maybe it's brokenness that you've got to leave behind. Shame, guilt. You know, I meet people all the time who just, they carry around their guilt and their sorrow and their pain like a, like a child carries around a blanket. It's like their comfort zone. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to let some stuff go. You've got you to say goodbye to some stuff. Because... That stuff that you're holding and toting and carrying around is such a weight that will one day crush your life. I can't get away from the fact, however, before we jump off this point of materialism, verse 23, look at this, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. There is a universal statement there. And what bothers me about that that saying is that in comparison to over 97% of the world, all of us sitting in this room are stinking rich. And so if there's, if there's not something that bothers us, there's maybe another problem here. 
We should really take seriously the fact that with the wealth that we have, is it true that we are really living our lives unto Christ? Are we really living with a priority that says, not my kingdom, but his kingdom come? And there are things in all of our lives that occupy space where Jesus could be more. Sometimes it's hobbies. Sometimes it's sports. I love sports. I love playoffs. I love watching the Warriors. I hate it when they lose. And sometimes that stuff just kind of grips me. Does it grip you? There's nothing wrong with being a sports fan, nothing wrong with having a hobby, nothing wrong with having your you know, thing that you enjoy doing, but, but if it continually consumes you and controls you and, and kind of guides your steps and your life is formed by it and your life is defined by it and you're identified by it, maybe there's an idol in there. Maybe there's something of what Jesus was saying to this young man about you've got to leave that behind. I need to have the rightful place in your life. And so his face fell. It's an interesting phrase that Mark uses. His face fell. He went away sad because he was of great wealth. Which brings us to the third movement of this text, and that is here the message that all who follow Jesus need to embrace. You say, well, haven't we got the message? No, actually not. The message is what follows. When Jesus says how actually hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God, the disciples look at each other and they say, well then, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. He uses the illustration of of the camel going through the eye of a needle, and a lot of people have done some interesting exegesis about that. Uh, The eye of the needle, in some ways, in some places, is defined of a gate where the, sh- the camels go through to enter a city or to enter a corral of some sort. But others believe that no, Jesus was using what we call hyperbole here, which is uh, an exaggeration to illustrate a truth that is just hard to get around. And here's the truth. The truth is, no matter what I do, no matter what effort I expend, that's not going to get me to heaven. That's the truth that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you can work as hard as you want But it's impossible. It's not hard for a rich man to get himself into heaven by his riches. It's impossible. That means it's never going to happen. Whatever you think is good enough for you to get yourself into heaven is not good enough. It's like a camel trying to pass through an eye of a needle. Jesus said it's impossible. It cannot happen. And when the disciples said, who then can be saved, Jesus levels the issue by saying, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What Jesus is telling us here is this is the seed of the gospel. Now listen carefully, beloved. What Jesus is saying is, while it's impossible for any of us to earn our way into heaven, to work our way into heaven, to deserve our way into heaven, the gospel is a free gift that comes at God's expense. So it's possible with God. And it comes through faith. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, that's verse 5. 
In other words, when you go to work tomorrow and your paycheck comes, whenever it comes, you don't run into your boss and you say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. What a beautiful gift you gave to me. That's it. You work for it. It's yours. Get back to work. You know, whatever. It's because it's an obligation for the employer to pay the employee. You arranged and decided about a wage that was worthwhile, and so work was expended, the wage was given, and that's what happened. But to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. This is the gospel. The gospel is that there is no work that we could do, no way we could earn our way to heaven. But all we need to do is trust and have faith in what Jesus did. In fact, Paul goes on in Romans 4 to quote to us from Psalm 32, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. This is the message that all who follow Christ must embrace. Listen, at some point in your life, if you're going to truly be a Christ follower, you've got to embrace that truth. I can't get my way there on my own. I can't trust in my riches. I can't trust in my moral law. I can't trust in anything. It is impossible for me to be saved apart from the beautiful work of God through Christ and my faith in what He did. God is the one who justifies. Therefore, this truth of the gospel so deepens our understanding of what God did for us, we realize why in the world would we want to hang on to anything that God would need or that God would ask us to give to him. You remember the story of Jim Elliott. Um, he was trying to reach a people group there and landed their little plane on that, on that little beachfront uh, of the, the river where these Aka Indians they'd been building relationship with and these Aka Indians came out and they massacred all five of these missionaries. And it was a big story, 1957. But Jim Elliott in one of his journals and subsequently that whole tribe came to know Christ through the wives of these men who actually stayed and served and ministered in that region. But Jim Elliott had written in his, in his uh, words, uh, in his journal, he is no fool who gives, gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Jim Elliott had it right. When Jesus needs something, we give it to him. Why? Because he's got everything in the first place. And so this what I'm wanting to show you is that when we come to Christ, it's not that we just give up whatever it is He tells us to give up and then that's it, we're done. The gospel life is a life of giving up whatever Jesus tells us to leave behind for Him. And there are things in all of our lives today that need to be left behind. There are stuff in our lives, stuff in our bank accounts, stuff in our wallets, stuff in our garages, stuff in our bedroom, stuff in our closets, stuff in our minds that need to be left behind today. We've got to leave it behind if we're going to follow Jesus. I spent a couple days this last week with a, a friend of mine from high school, and he was an a enterprising young man. He went to Stanford, got an engineering degree, got a job at Lockheed, was doing great, and then a missionary came to his church and, and spoke about the call of God and the time coming to the end, and, and it just the, God, the Lord just spoke to his heart so deeply, and he said, he met with his missionary, and he said, you know, 
how can I serve the Lord? Look, I'm on this career path. I work with Lockheed, blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, what do you do? And they started talking. Well, it ends up that this young man decided to go and use the engineering skills that he had, the leadership skills that he had, and some of the hobby desires that he had and, and uh, to work with Mission Aviation Fellowship. And he worked in, in uh, uh, Kenya, uh, Nairobi, in, and, and served the Lord there for several years. And that job sort of changed and morphed, and he left there. And now he's serving in Amman, Jordan. And every time I'm around Alan, it just reminds me of a guy who decided that it didn't matter. Just because you come to Christ doesn't mean that that's the end of leaving things behind. Because he just packed up his whole family this year and he moved to Amman, Jordan. And now they're, as we were together these last couple of days, he's, he's studying Arabic and Arabic cards. And I, I'm looking at these letters and I'm going, I, am, I, am, I, I don't have the brain power for this. This guy's learning a language that they don't even have letters, you know. I mean, it's just lines and dots. And, and you know why he's learning it? Because he wants to reach the Muslim world for Christ. And there he's in Amman, Jordan. He packed up his whole family. And you think he left some stuff behind to do that? You bet he did. I remember a few years ago when we were doing a big campaign and something that we needed some money for. I remember a guy calling me on the side of the road and he said, I've, I've got this money set aside. We were, we were going we to put down a down payment on a cabin in the mountains. And the Lord has just been speaking to me. And, and I just want to give it to the Lord. Just things like that. I was just over and over. I've heard people that say the Lord spoke to me. And when we built this this connection center, I don't know how many times I, I talked to people that just came up unsolicitedly and said, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me and I just feel like he wants me to, you know, I got this hobby and I've been putting so much into this or I've got this thing over here. And I just, one family came to me. They had, you know, a, a very modest, I mean, a family that inherited some money they didn't expect, and they just took a big chunk of that. I mean, they could have kept it all. But they just said, this needs to go to the Lord. That has inspired me and touched me on many occasions and our own family and stuff that we have to leave behind. So when you leave stuff behind for Christ, that doesn't mean you're done. <laughs> you keep leaving it behind. And there's stuff today that needs to be left behind. What is it? I think for some of us, it's the, the bigger stuff is even the emotional stuff, the, the regrets, the lack of forgiveness, the frustrations in our lives. Got to leave that stuff behind. Which brings me to the last movement in this text, verses 28 through 31. And we'll just kind of walk through it quick. But here we find the mystery that comes along with leaving everything or anything to follow Jesus. I mean, Peter, don't you love Peter? He's so honest. You know, Lord, you know, he's putting all this together. Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And here comes the mystery that should cause us to rejoice if we're following Jesus. Jesus says that in this life, if you've left it behind and you continue to leave things behind for me, showing that you are my disciple, whatever you've given up, Jesus promises, and I don't know, I've noticed this, do you see the percentage rate of increase, the rate of return in this passage? 100%. I don't know, any, any rate of return as strong as that. 100%. Jesus says, whatever you give up, 100%. Families, 100%. Possessions, 100%. Riches, 100%. Spiritual riches. Brothers, sisters, family members. I've talked to people who have come to Christ and their whole family left them. We've got some people out of the Muslim faith in our church and their whole family has left them. They have no family. I said, guess what? Welcome to a big family. 
you got now 2,000 family members. Brothers and sisters, some you may not like that much, but anyway, we're all here. It's okay. We're a family. Welcome to the family. And look at verse 30. Jesus includes in this list persecutions too. I like that. I mean, yeah, all these things, increase, increase, increase. And by the way, persecutions, yes, not an easy ride. But if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be a glorious thing. God's going to work it out. So hear what Jesus is saying to us today. You're going to follow him. It means we got to leave some stuff behind. And I can't tell you what it is for you. First of all, if you don't know Christ, you've got to leave yourself behind. You've got to leave your sin behind. You've got you to say, Jesus, you in my life. Whatever it is that he's saying. Whatever that thing is holding between, the, the thing that is between you, holding you back from following Jesus. That's got to go in your life. But if you know Christ this morning, there's still stuff that's got to go. Because following Jesus is going to require at times saying, that stuff is taking over, that stuff is controlling my life. Your past, your sin, your shame, everything. Well, this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, right now is a good time to do it. And if this morning you are a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit has been saying, ah, that, 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 then if you're following him, you're going to say, okay, that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this man, this meeting, this message, and this mystery that we rejoice in today. How with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Lord, you brought someone to this service, I'm sure, today that needs to begin following you. And it starts with leaving our sin behind, saying no to the ways we've lived our lives and to say yes to the one who created us to live a new life. And if you're sitting here this morning and you know you need Christ in your life, God brought you to this service so that you could hear the invitation of the gospel message that through faith in Christ, you may be set free and experience eternal life. Right where you sit, you can pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Please come in. Forgive my sins. And make me a new creation. And if you already know Christ this morning, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the stuff in your life that needs to be left behind today? And I'm going to ask you to stand with me in just a second. As we do, I'm going to dismiss any of our prayer room workers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.